This is the third series in the third year, indeed, of the Laureateship of podcasts that I have made with some of my fellow writers in which I ask what the hell stroke heaven it is that we do. Not expecting or even needing an answer, but in not getting an answer, maybe some signpost directions towards an answer. I really hope you enjoy them. Today I'm talking much to my delight to Calm to Bean. And uh, we've known each other for 35 years and he is much older than me by two months. But he really has been an extraordinary bonfire, extraordinary light for me and a reason sometimes to keep going, sometimes to rethink things and think things for the first time. He's a great prompter of thought. He, his achievement in the, those 35 years has been immense with novels such as Brooklyn, The Master, which is about Henry James, uh, just peerless books. I'm just for once a little trepidatious about talking to somebody because I revere him on the other side of idolatry. So calm to be. So man dear, beloved man dear, uh, I've done a number of these, but never with someone uh, whose DNA I suspect might have mixed with mine by now. <laughs> we know each other such a long time. I know you slightly longer than I know my wife. And in many ways, here I am at 64, I have, to some degree, measured my process and measured things I've done and done them in some curious way in consort with, with you, even at the great distance between us sometimes. I appreciate, of course, that you're far older than me, two months, and I, I therefore I must uh, bow to your superiority and or, or your um, olderness. But I did, after 42 years, and I think it's 30 years since the South was published, it's the anniversary next year, uh, come to wondering maybe th something that you shouldn't think about if we are to be properly superstitious about what we do. But the, the question was, that was in my mind coming in to be laureate was, you know, what is this thing that we do? You've been a, a, a very substantial journalist. You've also worked in academia, but it's not there, I think, our answer lies if there is an answer. Do you, do you ever wonder in respect of what we do about those other creatures we were before we were this strange homo sapiens person, which is only 300,000 years old, that million years of some other hominid and what they were expecting from their own arts. Do you feel any responsibility actually in your DNA since we raised the issue of DNA backwards to these creatures who are silent being this creature who is not is the opposite of silent, who is eloquent in the face of silence. I suppose I, I, I live in history much more than I would live in, you know, like in other words, I would live in a hundred years rather than a thousand mm. years, mm. and I would have a sense of silences that came before me, in the immediate generations before me, mm. of people who might have done things who didn't, 
mm. of people who didn't get chances, they, that they didn't have the confidence or just circumstances were not there for people. And um, that silence is certainly there. And when you, when you start working with the tradition and you start looking at why, what's before William Carlton? Mm -hmm. When William Carlton walks out of Monaghan or Cavan mm -hmm. in those years, in the really in the second or third decade of the 19th century, why is he the first voice? Mm -hmm. And why is his voice so strange, mm -hmm. so fluent at certain times and so hesitant at others? And why is he such a narrow, difficult presence? And um, so just that idea of um, the dark Irish 19th century mm. being a very dark time for writing in the sense that, mm. you know, that you get these, you get Dracula, you get um, Melmoth the Wanderer, you get Sheridan Le Fanu. Mm. But there's, um, in the very time when a heroic thing is going on in the neighbouring island, mm. in, you know, Dickens to George Eliot, Thackeray, mm. um, Trollope, that we have just this strange silence. That so the, sun, the sun was in Britain. But the, the rain was in Ireland. Yeah, and um, that in other words, in order to make a novel, it seemed at a certain point mm. as though you would need a house, some parkland, and a lot of um, sense of tradition, a mm. meaning of mm. that money could be passed on from one generation to the next, and that love would end in a wedding. Yes. And the wedding would end in the next generation. Yes. But that that didn't exist here. So that I suppose um, all, all of that is there somewhere in the background. But sometimes the background is much more personal than that. So and, and, it, and it arises really from the whole idea of um, just wanting to perform or wanting to, having a, an impulse mm. that to actually write something down, mm -hmm. almost as though it were a melody. Mm -hmm. And that being very natural, almost visceral. Mm -hmm. And then you start doing it and then you start making it into a sort of work. Mm -hmm. But it came naturally. So Carlton broke a great silence. We, we were lacking in a proper collection of Gad's Hills, Gad's Hill being Dickens's house. Although we are ignoring, well, there is a sort of silence in the great house, isn't there, up to this ah, yeah. point? Yeah, um, but I, th I think what we're ignoring really is also that, that some of that, what I've just said, is sort of nonsense in the sense that mm. uh, the, the reading, business of reading is so porous mm. that um, when I was 17 or 18, I was reading mm. Kafka or, mm. or I was reading Hemingway. Mm. And it wasn't Hemingway, as though I was yes. feeling that, that I had no right to these books. These, these no. were the books that were in easels, yes. you know, and that you could go in and buy them and read them. And there wasn't as though yeah. they, they, you were reading Irish stuff or you were, you know, that, that, so the books are, the whole business of books is so porous. Yes, but when you're a young writer, you, you do have an immense appetite and need for friendship with the dead, as it were. I remember in Paris, when I was 22, getting a ticket for the British Library, uh, or the British Council, what was it called? British Council, yeah. 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 And um, getting, they, they, for some reason, they, they gave, entrusted me, this penniless, down-at-heel Irish creature, with volumes of Joyce's letters and Yeats's letters, hmm. and bringing them back to my little room and being completely dismayed by the fever of Joyce's whatever condition being that was, and the rather pacific state of being that was Yeats, but, but assuming that somehow that I would be in friendship with them. Um, who, who were the writers? Who, do, who did you befriend retrospectively? Well, I think that anyone um, 
growing up where, where I did, and I mean Yeats, the early Yeats poems were so seductive, mm. and um, his presence and the, the, the whole, whole, the whole sense of his achievement. Mm. Um, he was certainly there. It took me much longer to um, get in touch with Joyce, but I, mm. by that time, I had really, really been paying attention to Hemingway and certainly to Kafka. Mm. And also at that time, it's strange the way it goes out of fashion, Sartre was very well known as a novelist then. Mm. So that um, a, um, um, the, the trilogy called Roads to Freedom mm. and um, Iron in the Soul, certainly Iron mm. in the Soul mm. was a book that everyone was reading. And you never mm. Guernica, me, of course. Guernica was on the cover oh. and these were terribly oh. good books. Yeah. And obviously Camus, um, L'Etranger, you know, the, mm. these were the books. Well, um, we were the children, we were modernist children. In the, in our, the thing, in a way, we, we didn't, I don't think, realise it, or I certainly didn't for 10 or 15 years in to writing, was that that was the thing we had to break. We are... Our intoxication was the idea of modernism, which also seemed to include the idea, and I remember you writing about one of my books years ago along these lines, of not needing an audience at some level. Yeah. That these, these were objects yeah. being made. That, that, um, that, that, that extraordinary period when books were written that had the reader built into them. Yeah. That it was as though At Swim Two Birds was written and the student was his own reader as well as making a world yes. with Mr. Trellis and all the other characters that he would read the book so that it wouldn't actually need a reader, which yeah. Borges, of course, worked yeah. on very closely as well. Yeah. And, um, you know, it, it's... Um, you said this about yeah, The Engine of Our Life. I did, I, I yeah. did about The Engine of Our Life, that, that, that there was so much parody in it. It was the so last book that, that didn't a, need a reader, you yeah, said. Yeah, that, that of that particular mm. Um, mm. school, <laughs> uh, I think of Irish writing mm. th that the engine of your book was mm. the last mm. and then something else began which was a I yes, suppose no. a, I mean in a, in a way writing in a much more minor key um, I, I think certainly what, what, what I've been doing has certainly been in a much more minor key I think in the past I've seen you uh, in your infinitely gentle way take exception to the the word storyteller you don't want to be I, uh, <laughs> you just it's 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 really is an issue where I found it being used about Ireland and about me yeah. um, and it would come with an English accent and it would be yeah. wonderfully enthusiastic <laughs> and with the person speaking have no idea just what this sounded like to say you're all marvelous storytellers in Ireland are yes. the Irish storytelling tradition yes. and when I think people say I think about all the silences, all the things never mentioned, all the stories yeah. not told, and yeah. coming out of a, a, quite an austere tradition, mm. actually. I mean, I'm talking about at home, yes, I, of I things understand. not being said, yeah. that I didn't recognise this at all. And it wasn't as though in the evening by the campfire, some old aunt or granny sat down and started to tell the story of Finn McCool mm. or some other... Was low-level gossip in a small town mm. was the nearest you got to storytelling. So I, I mean, I just found that um, it's um, it's um, Hart Hodgkin um, took enormous exception to being called a colorist, mm -hmm. even though he sort of was one. Mm -hmm. But he rather found that when he was that colorist, yes. it was a way of bringing him down somewhere. Uh, and I'm a great believer in taking exception. As other painters didn't have, painters didn't have a structure. So also, I'm not that interested in story. Yeah. Um, the, yes, well, I suppose that's what's happened to me in recent years, is that I've realised there is a thing called 
story that is part of the, what you could say, the wider communal DNA of making a book. That it yeah, wants but, to yeah, go but, there. But hold on. I mean, there's, there's, there's a, you see, you, you could claim that um, style is the structure mm. which keeps story up. Mm. But if you move it the other way around, which I think is wh how you work, which is mm. that story is the structure that mm. keeps style up. So mm. you have to have something mm. to actually uh, scaffold, uh, scaffold the style. Yeah. Because you can't just have the style operating free flow. Well, I did try that. <laughs> yes, I know you did. I know you, did. And you, you did it in the theatre as well, in, in, uh, in, in, in the early plays. Mm. That, but then you realise, ah, I know what I can do. I can bring in a story and the story will give me all the architecture I need for this inner space, which mm. is called style. And so you, you find a, a, a structure for your style, which is called story. Um, but it's not the other way around. Good. See, now I'll, I'll think about that for yeah, a few no, years. Yeah, no, I just had you need... Yeah, this is sorry, going to, this is going to produce a silence. I've been waiting for some time to tell you oh, this. Oh, well, this is so the I'm ideal. I'm so glad that I got the chance just now. Yes, that, that will produce the ultimate silence, I think. Uh, well, the reason I, I uh, trepidatiously mentioned Storyteller is that you, you are talking about the last hundred years. You are talking about writing things down. You are talking about that strange, very recent technique that, as a creature that we have devised of, of communicating our music, as you might say, even if it's just a whistle tune in my case. But it's how we do it. And then miraculously this thing can be put in somebody's lap and uh, produce somehow this uh, cinematic or whatever, however you describe it, this cinema before cinema effect in their lap and the miracle of that. But, and you're talking about a time, what's before Carlton? Well, what's before that is, is that storytelling on the hoof. I mean, the important thing I learned from writing, say, Boscoetti's Boys, which was written in 86, was that the mythology of two old brothers like that, of course, younger than us now, uh, wasn't Finn McCool and all the rest of it. It was the bloody Marx Brothers in the local cinema. It was whatever harvest of imagination they could bring home from from the cinema in the town. And that becomes there. And, and the importance of, of those things, to truly identify your mythology is the first job. If you remember Brendan Connell, you say, a writer without a mythology has no chance to... Uh, to do anything good but we did we had to identify what that mythology was and wasn't always going to be our but before all that surely there is that person and that fireplace you said campfire i think you meant your aunt sitting by the fire in the in the winter yeah i was uh, exaggerating about the campfire yeah yeah I, we, we we didn't do campfires you know you brought it out into yeah, the garden yeah, yeah. We, if we, you bring we, it back into the house indoors, uh, and you say to me in your in this revelatory way what i'm doing but it is something for me, I maybe haven't been in the Gwaeltocht as a little boy, uh, to, uh, something to do with the fact that you're on that side and they're on that side. And unless you cross that space of warmth with the chill of the room on your back mm. with something that's going to hold them, they will fall asleep or they will go and make a cup of tea or they will drift off and think, uh, or they will feel that enormous embarrassment that sometimes people feel we feel in the theatre when something's not good. So this is what we want to avoid. And it seems to me that it's that whole 
impromptu, even though written down nature of storytelling that cuts the mustard in, in that instance. I mean, God bless you, but the story told in Brooklyn is so much of that nature. It is so much. Yeah. Yes, I mean, I mean, it goes against everything I'm saying theoretically because um, Thank God. it was a story heard. There was a fire lighting. It was a small room, and I was listening. So you're straight out of that idea yeah. of. But it was only half the story was told. I, I had to imagine yes. the rest. Um, also, it's not a story told by your aunt. It's a story told by the ancient mariner, right? Well, it was somebody came to the house, you know, mm. and um, you know she told the story, and I was twelve, and forty years later or forty-five years later, it became very useful. Yeah. Because it was on my mind, the whole idea of returning and leaving and returning and leaving and, mm. and ideas of home and identity and how all that um, gets strained and put under pressure. Um, what, what I, um, on the question of, of, of um, style and story, mm. um, that I think that when you're writing or when I'm working, and I think when you're working, the idea of the reader as a character in other words, that as you're writing something, you think, do I need one more thing here to make this more clear, more dramatic, more interesting? And more interesting is perhaps the, the, the hardest one to admit. Mm. I need to do one more thing here because if I don't, I could lose mm. the, the reader's interest in this. Mm. And I can try rhythm because rhythm is one way of holding attention where the reader doesn't quite know why they're turning the page, mm -hmm. they're holding the page with rhythm. But if you overdo that and become conscious of it, you can lose it. You need one thing. Mm. And often you need to close a chapter too early just mm. to keep the reader going. Mm -hmm. Open a chapter with mm -hmm. some entirely new thing. Leave out a whole journey. For example, in Brooklyn, where the first time she goes to America, um, the farewell scene with her mother is simply not there. Mm. I thought it was too cliched, first mm. of all, but I thought also, don't do it. Mm. Just don't have that. The reader can imagine mm. it was hard and it was Absolutely. sad. But what if it wasn't in the book? Yes. You could then, and you're, you're, um, you become aware of this when the book was filmed, so that I, I know mm. the difference now mm -hmm. is that your pact with the reader is that the reader has to imagine everything. Mm. Where the buttons were, what color was the jacket, what her, you know, what mm -hmm. she... So, so the reader is constantly in a state of imagining a scene mm -hmm. that you're only giving clues to. So mm -hmm. the book becomes a set of clues and you need to know how many clues do I need to give mm -hmm. for the reader to be able to fully imagine the scene that I have imagined for the reader. Mm -hmm. And so a novel becomes a set not of um, you know, details or scene setting, but a mm -hmm. set of clues where mm -hmm. the reader fills in the details mm -hmm. and the reader does the scene setting. And can I, so the reader becomes a sort of figure in the way you imagine. I mean, how would you define the value of this artifact? What is the value of this thing that we do? Oh, um, I suppose uh, um, with Wallace Stevens's notes towards the supreme fiction, he includes, um, it must give pleasure, doesn't he? If he doesn't, I, I, he mm. does, doesn't he? Yeah. It must give pleasure. So that, that idea, first of all, that you begin with, with not necessarily this is a form of entertainment. No. Um, but, um, that, um, but it gives pleasure. In other words, that there's a richness involved mm. um, and a, a, a sort of um, a, a level of being, a, a, um, being somebody, somebody saying something and you sit up and you want to listen to it. Yeah. It's the same as a singer singing a song. Yes. In other words, that, that whatever it is, you turn. Yes. And uh, sometimes some it happens with me when I'm reading, 
where I just stop for a second and mm. go, oh Lord, yeah. over something someone does or yeah. says, yeah. but also over just a sentence itself, just somewhere or other that something And turns. maybe sometimes when you're writing you have to... Um, yeah, but I wouldn't, when I'm talking about the business of, of just, yeah. just simply taking down a book and realizing, yeah. oh, and the way your life becomes consumed. Henry James described this as a, that, that life itself, he said, is incomplete. Mm. And the purpose of what the novelist must do is complete it. Mm. So by giving mm. it a structure, a shape, by putting style on it, by letting people see it more clearly. Mm. So, so something like that is going on where you're in t attempting to interpret life and to show what life is like. Uh, and it's not that, I mean, what is, what is my complaint? Well, my complaint is not political. Mm. It's not that I would like, um, you know, some set of political changes to, mm. th that's not what I'm interested in. And there are novelists who are interested in it, but mine is, is essentially about existence. It's about, mm. um, uh, but e evil in us that when when so is it a solace can it be a solace and a castigation I suppose or is there anything uh, between well, those two, two. That, the, the, those words are too strong I think yeah. um, but, but it, it, it it's is between less, there somewhere it, it is more or less throwing light on something that no one has seen clearly it's as though there's a movie showing and you just darken the room so everyone can now see the movie mm. for a second, however mm. well. And this is obviously vitally important. It's not as though this is just an extra thing that can be added. That, that uh, we, we, we really live in a state of such mystery or such non-knowing yes. um, in relation to mm. life mm. as to why it's here, how long mm -hmm. it's going to last, and what it's going to mm -hmm. ever going to mean. We don't know anything about it. The stars uh, are very uh, far away. Uh, yeah, we live in a permanent state of, of just not knowing. Mm. And uh, so a novelist, it isn't that a novelist gives you the solution to this, but the no. novelist, I think, offers a way of showing things in time as they move towards completion, uh -huh. so that something or other has been explained, dramatized. But I think the better word might be completed or shown and do, so, you do you feel still that you're I mean there's a certain sense where writers just in reading the lives of writers that there's a sort of um, they, they become sort of orphans as they go on further do you f do you feel still the child of someone do you still feel that as an important yeah, as a writer, yes, I suppose I do. Um, oh, Colin, and uh, I suppose I do. Um, in that, yeah, the years pass, and um, you know, yeah. unimaginable things happen, such as you know, people passing on, mm. and suddenly you, you get used to that, and mm. you know, but um, yeah, it, it isn't just in my dream life, <laughs> but it's certainly in there, in that, mm. but also in some some way in my daily business that mm -hmm. I'm still living in that orbit, mm -hmm. that I've not, I've not been released from mm -hmm. that uh, family, early life orbit. You said a great, you've said a really great thing among all the things you say, which is that there's no point going home when all these people are still alive and giving out to them about the rotten things they did to you as a child. You said, what's the point of that? Oh, well, I, Thomas Mann's daughter Elizabeth, mm. um, who was the wisest of the six children, said, by 30, you have no further rights <laughs> to blame your family for who mm. you are by 30. Yeah. Up to 30, you can do what you like. <laughs> okay. That's the cutoff point. Just get over it by, get over right. it by 30. Yes. I, I wish you had said that to me earlier <laughs> as well, because I did rather give out on it. Uh, yeah, 3-0. Yeah. Approaching you was definitely 
a desire somehow to signal to the world that that uh, that you and I have been friends for 35 years and have been in strange cahoots together and really to state how proud, how proud I am of that fact, well, Connor. I'm proud of it too. Okay. Thank you very much. Thank you. Thank you, Tom.